Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel. And today we have on our podcast channel for New Books Network and New Books in Eastern European Studies, Christina Bejan. Welcome, Christina. Thank you, Stephen. It is an honor and privilege to be here. So uh, Christina Bejan has a new book, which we'll be talking about today. It's called Intellectuals and Fascism in Interwar Romania, the Criterion Association, published by Palgrave Macmillan Press in 2019. A little bit about Christina. She is a historian, theater artist, and poet, a Rhodes and Fulbright scholar. In fact, she's had fellowships at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, the Wilson Center, and Georgetown University. She's taught at five universities in the United States, including currently at Metropolitan State University of Denver, and she received her master's in DPhil in modern history from the University of Oxford and her BA in philosophy from Northwestern University, where she also studied theater. I should mention that she had, has taught at Duke University as well. Christina was a researcher for the Holocaust Museum authored 64 articles on camps in Africa and Europe for volume three of the Encyclopedia of Camps and Ghettos. In addition to the book that we'll talk about today, she is a poet and her poetry collection is called Green Horses on the Walls. She's a playwright too, and her play play called Je Suis Jeriste is an anthology about refugees. It was published as uh, Voices on the Move, by Solus Press. Her creative work has appeared in many places in the US, UK, Romania, and Vanuatu. The last thing about uh, Christina Bejan, she runs the arts and culture collective called Bucharest Inside the Beltway, based in Denver, Colorado, uh, which you could find on her many social media sites, including Facebook, Twitter, uh, and LinkedIn and Instagram. We'll talk about that toward the end of the podcast, but I want to talk about her book today. So thanks again, Christina, for joining us. Um, Thank you I so start, much. I wanna, yeah, I want to start with a, a big question about this um, group of intellectuals in interwar Romania. So um, could you talk about this circle of people and perhaps initially what led you to be interested in them? So this is Romania's most famous and admired intellectual group, um, arguably in Romanian history. Um, So their official name was the young generation or the new generation. They've also been called the generation of 1927 because that's when their leader, historian of religions, Mircea Eliade, wrote the manifesto for this group. It was a group of friends, um, but they all had a shared passion for intellectual activity. They were all writing in newspapers and journals. They were all keeping diaries. 
the uh, style of literature of the day was the literature of experience based on German Erlebnis. Um, and so they would write autobiographical um, stories, novels, plays, um, you name it, they were all producing it. And Mircea Eliade, I mentioned, is the most famous, but there are other famous members, uh, at least to the international community. Um, and that would be Emile Choran, the nihilist philosopher Siron in France, um, Eugène Ionesco, the father of the theater of the absurd in France, um, and a a host of other great minds um, in the Romanian canon. Uh, this is a very short list, by the way, that I'm giving you, um, including Petru Carmenescu, who is my favorite, and yes, I will explain why um, within this 50 minutes, um, Mircea Volcanescu, Marietta Sadova, the one of Romania's most famous actresses and, and theater directors, her husband, theater director Haig Akhtarian, and the list goes on. But the question as to how I got curious about this group, I am Romanian-American. Um, my father fled communist Romania in 1969, and because of the communist regime, um, we were not allowed to go to Romania which meant that my father didn't see his family for 20 years. Um, so we were cut off from that part of our identity. I would say, you know, growing up in the 80s uh, in Durham, North Carolina, that's where I grew up, um, which is a very multicultural and diverse city. I was always aware that my father was an immigrant. And so Romania kind of had this mysterious fairy tale <laughs> um, uh, mystique about it, I would say. And each night, my father would put me and my sister, Teresa, to bed with bedtime stories about Romania. So even at a very early age, we knew that Romania had been a functioning democracy in the 1930s, that the, the 30s, which is when my dad's parents met, they were the first in their families to go to university. They met as university students in Bucharest. Um, and we knew that this was the golden era of Romania. and so my question to my dad was always, well, how come it didn't last? How come Romania is not like the United States with um, a democratic system? And then he explained, well, that's because fascism came and then communism came. So I always had these questions percol percolating in my mind as I grew up. And after 89, um, um, you know, actually, I would say actualizing my Romanian identity, being able to go to Romania, learning Romanian, speaking Romanian. Um, by the time I got to college, I, um, I noticed a professor in the French department, a very famous poet, by the way, Stella Radulescu, and I noticed she had a Romanian name. So I approached her and asked her if we could do an independent study um, and uh, in Romanian language and literature. And it was there that she got me reading Mircea Eliade, who she knew personally because they were part of the, liter the Romanian literate of um, Chicago. And so that's where these questions began. But it was only once I had the great um, fortune of going to graduate school that I was able to begin my investigation. So I wanted to ask a question about the romanticization of the interwar period, really in interwar Romania and with the understanding these intellectuals had about their Romanianness, So could you describe this um, particular moment for our listeners from 
1918 to 1940? What, what kind of fascist views, if they had those views, did individuals within the circle have? So um, there is a very, very clear moment, um, but I'm going to give just a little bit of background um, to further explain how diverse this group actually was. Um, key members of Criterion actually started off flirting with communism. And so that includes Haig Akhtarian, the theater director, um, who ended up being one of the Legionary Movement's main supporters, but he started out as a communist. Um, Mihail Polyraniade, who also was definitely um, a, a um, should I say, one of the main activists supporting the Legion. He was killed for his Legionary activity by the um, the royal government. So these two eventual legionnaires um, started off being communists. Mircea Eliade actually started off flirting with communism. I know a lot of people probably uh, did not know that. But the difficulty with communism in Romania, it's, um, it's a special kind of difficulty because Geographically, Romania had always been threatened by Russian occupation. More recently, we're more familiar with that with the case of the Republic of Moldova, also having elections this week, a presidential election. But, um, you know, so Romania, geographically speaking, always felt this Russian threat. And so when communism, it wasn't that popular, actually, but um, in order to maintain the the power, I mean, we're talking about the, it was a constitutional monarchy at this time. So we're talking about the royal power, keep Romania independent, keep the Russians away. So that's why communism was made illegal um, right at this time when the young generation started um, meeting, feeling their group identity. Um, becoming intellectual leaders of Romania. So communism was not a viable option politically. It was illegal. So then what was the alternative to liberal democracy? That's a huge reason why people fell in line with Codreanu, the Romanian fascist leader. Well, he was the leader of the Legionary Movement. Just to be clear, Legionary Movement is not the only fascist group in Romania at this time, but they were ultimately the most successful. Um, just to reiterate, um, uh, the young generation who then were uh, members of the Criterion Association were a very diverse group. We had Jews, Romanians, Armenians, um, all political stripes. I just described a little bit of that. Um, women, it was uh, diverse gender-wise. Um, there were just as many women who were part of all of these events as men, believe it or not. As I mentioned, there are a lot of love affairs. There are a lot of... Um, uh, one of the founders of Criterion was um, the most famous dancer and choreographer in Romania, Floria Capsali. She... with. Criterion actually had all of their meetings in her dance studio. So a woman was at the head, yeah, and a dancer, um, in addition to Petra Carmonescu. But I know that we're going to talk about that in a second. So in terms of the moment, when did this all change? It is when the Legionary Movement, Codriano, brings the headquarters 
to Bucharest. Previously, they had been in Yash in northern Romania and Moldova. Um, and that is right at the heart of the Criterion Association. Criterion Association meets between 1932 to 1934. By 34, um, the uh, it was called, um, I think it was called the Greenhouse, if I remember correctly, because the, cr- the color of Romanian fascists was green, right? We have the black shirts in Italy, um, you know, so et cetera, et cetera. And so that, so not only does the Legionnaire movement make their move on Bucharest, but they make their move within the intellectuals. And so they recruited some people really early, like Marietta Sadova, famous Romanian actress and, and theater director. And so you actually see within the, the documents about Criterion, and I imagine I'll get to speak about that as well, that people are being approached and um, pressured and encouraged to uh, think about joining the Legionary Movement or supporting the Legionary Movement within Criterion's operations. So by the end of Criterion's life, so it was only two years, um, many of its members had by this point been successfully recruited to support the Legionary Movement. And so because they didn't want to rub elbows with people they disagreed with, Criterion, sorry, just just stalled. Couldn't meet. People didn't want to meet with each other that they didn't agree with, right? And so that's the first reason Criterion um, died a very abrupt death. And I'm, and then the second one, I imagine I'll get into a little later. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about their death <laughs> <laughs> I, because I don't want them to die. I want to talk about their lives. And and I love. I mean, I love the fact that you've got you know sort of caviar and ashes feel. Um, talking about Marcy Short to this book, I, I'm so enthralled um, hearing about people like Marietta Sadova um, and the relationships that these intellectuals had. She, of course, was the actress and theater director. And you're mentioning from the very beginning Petru um, Kamarescu, right? Mm-hmm. Who's, the, who's the father of, seems to be a father or father figure So my next question is really about their relationships. So it seems in some ways like this was actually a kind of family. And maybe you can extend that metaphor a little bit too far, but certainly the, the intensity of their quarrels and disagreements and marriages and divorces, um, will be of interest as you delve through their secrets. Um, so it, that's more of a comment, but it, it's a way to kind of lead into the layout for your book. If you could kind of like get into this, this world, almost like a family world of intellectuals and how you how you began to arrange it and tell their stories. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, if I may, um, it is mind blowing that you have just compared my book to Marcy Shore's Caviar and Ashes. That book was my inspiration when I was writing my PhD, and I have worshipped her greatness um, for a very, very long time. And she's also one of the kindest people in all of academia. So I think she is a model to be followed. I admire her and her work so much. Um, as I dive into the the story, because what I have written here is a story, um, which I know is unconventional <laughs> for academic books. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. But for me, I you know I wanted to 
I wanted to understand how fascism was appealing to these great minds of Romania that I admired so much. I loved Eliade. I still do. I even considered doing a second PhD after the first PhD <laughs> to be in the history of religion so I could study Eliade. So I love him, but I didn't understand how he could have been captivated by fascism. So that was the driving mm -hmm. question. Yeah. But then when I got to Romania, um, and by this point I had, I had a sense of Petru Comărnescu. I knew that he had studied in the United States. I knew that he loved America and he wanted to bring American optimism back to Romania. Um, he actually studied at the university of Southern California. So close to where you are now, Stephen. And yeah. he just, he was passionate about bringing this democratic ethos to Romania. He really thought that um, he could convince people <laughs> to be uh, passionate liberal Democrats. And that was what inspired him to create Criterion, to have this platform for dialogue and freedom of expression. So um, that is the backdrop. So I knew I wanted to understand the appeal of fascism to these, to these intellectuals. I knew that Petru Comrnescu was really, really super cool, and I wanted to know more about him. And so when I arrived in Romania in 2000, oh my goodness, seven, wow, um, as a Fulbright scholar, I was at a, um, a, like a happy hour, I guess, at the embassy, in, at U.S. embassy, and the icon, Keith Hitchens, was there who, um, as many of us know the, in the, the Romanian late, the history late, world, the late exactly, yeah. he passed away within this past week. And he said, and by this point, he and I had been corresponding for years, and he was just, all, again, just a model for us all to follow, just a kind, generous spirit. And he said, oh, Christina, you know, you're curious about Petru Carmonescu. Well, his personal archive is in uh, the Library of the Romanian Academy. And so I, of course, the next day, first thing in the morning, I, you know, in my American sneakers, walked to the Library of the American <laughs> Academy um, and then ended up spending, I don't know how many months in there because I discovered the goldmine of information about Criterion. Everything that you can imagine from notes, right. from meetings, invitations for people to join, newspaper clippings about events, flyers that they sent, you know, that they were distributing, try to get people to go to their events. Um, and I said, when I saw this, I said, well, I have to write the biography of Criterion. That's it. So yeah. now that I will go through the book, um, that's precisely, um, it's it's the trajectory of Criterion's life um, with a an investigation as to how um, many of Criterion's members um, were uh, yeah. seduced by fascism uh, could, along the way. Could could we talk about their texts? So, I mean, obviously you've got Iliada's, um, it's called Spiritual Itinerary, yes. right? So that, that's a kind of founding text. What What is in it? Could you explain that for our listeners? Why, why is that so significant? Um, well, so it's, first of all, I actually do want to, um, pull it up in my book because I've provided the first English language, uh, description and I go through it in depth. So 
And um, others, other texts as well, you know, I mean, they held these symposia, right? And they had icons, as I understand it. So Lenin, Freud, Charlie Chaplin, even Mussolini, André Gide. I, I mean, I think it's incredibly important for intellectual historians to return to these texts, and, and you do. So what what's in it that makes their writing so significant? Well, so um, this was the year that Generation 27 gets its name, and it's coming after another um, manifesto. Um, well, it's, it's, so Eliado's spiritual itinerary is in 27, and then there's a similar um, intellectual manifesto that, that is published the year after. Um, and so um, it is this proclamation um, that ultimately is part of the justification for this uniquely Romanian identity. Ultimately, that's what it um, is weaponized for. Um, but it is for Eliade being the historian of religions, um, he ultimately becomes, it's a, a spiritual calling. And so he, he just, he's very methodical, um, in how, and he justifies this in Romanian Orthodox, uh, spirituality. Of course, that's, that's a very important component to, um, the success of fascism in Romania, right? The that being Romanian Orthodox is part of being Romanian. So anybody who's not Orthodox, um, you know, doesn't make the cut. And there, I mean, in Romania's case for the Romanian Holocaust, a lot of um, Christian minorities were also um, persecuted during the Romanian Holocaust uh, as well, in addition to Jews and Roma and communists. So, um, so he's, um, it's, it's defining the spiritual identity, which is an orthodox uh, identity, and also defining their cultural calling. And ultimately, that's how it ends, is this calling that, that Eliade claims that his generation has to create Romanian culture. So Romania, like for Romanian historians, um, both in Romania and um, abroad, um, Romanian history is is very clearly mapped out one generation at a time, and they each have their own specific name. And so with the spiritual itinerary, Eliade is saying, we are inheritors of the previous generation. They've built this country for us. Remember, Romania only became what looks like Romania today after World War One and the Treaty of Trianon and um, all of the territorial acquisitions, be, right? So he says, okay, you've built this country. We got it. Now we've got to make Romanian culture. We've got to put our, um, you know, put Romania on the map. And so he says it's the responsibility and it's the duty of the young generation to take up that call. So does, okay. it, does that answer your question? Sort of. I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in the text because the spiritualism comes to encompass a lot more than European culture, right? I mean, they're interested in the Theosophical Society and India. Um, You know, I mean, their icons are people like Charlie Chaplin and Greta Garbo. So uh, there are canonical works for certain. You've got Gide and Valéry and Proust and certainly a kind of like French philosophical and intellectual legacy. But 
it's it's a fascinating grab bag. And I, I want, because I think you capture it so well in your book, I wonder if you could explain that almost dilettantism, I know that has a negative connotation, but this this way of grabbing things into a spiritualist understanding of Romanian culture, how, how did you conceive of that and, and read through that and interpret that? Well, so the spiritual itinerary um, of 1927 was the call to action. And it's immediately after this call that many of the criterionists, or at this point, members of the young generation, they're not criterionists yet, that they all pursue studies abroad. So call to action and then dispersion. Sebastian goes to France, Comrnescu goes to the United States, and Eliade goes to India. And um, for Romanian enthusiasts of Eliade, his time in India and writings about India, I mean, that's a huge part of the Romanian literary canon of the 20th century, the most obvious book being Maitrey that he wrote about um, if a, a fictionalized autobiographical love affair, <laughs> right, so that he got in trouble for and was banned from going to India ever again. But um, so he goes to India. So everybody goes and has these experiences. Remember, that's the philosophy of the time. They're living their experiences. And they come back to Romania in 31, right before Criterion, bringing those experiences with them. And then there's this flurry of literary activity, publishing all these books about their experiences. Carmenescu publishes two books about America. Eliade publishes Maitre. He also publishes the first Western book, on yoga. So, you know, yeah, I, I know you right. like yoga, Stephen. <laughs> I do. This is this is what I'm about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Eliade's fault that we all, I mean, I love, I used to be a yoga teacher. We haven't talked about that yet, but um, <laughs> yeah, so it's all Eliade's fault that he brought yoga to the Western world. Um, so, but that was his PhD that he, so, you know, he, I mean, well, he was a, he was a phenomenal linguist, Eliade, but um, so, um, I could, I could, I could go on and on about his time in India, but um, moving forward, so he comes back, you know, just publishing. Um, it's just this flurry of activity, and remember that Comanescu returns with this goal to fight for um, optimism and democracy, actually American style, to Romania, and that's the spirit that he creates. Criterion. And that is also the spirit in which they select the first series for Criterion's activity is this idol series that you mentioned, Stephen. And they mm -hmm. purposely select international icons from across the world, and they call them personalities of the day. So these yeah. are people that they viewed as making, you know, making history at that, you know, in 1932, who's making history today? It's Lenin, it's Mussolini, it's Greta right. Garbo, Hollywood, right? Um, it's Gandhi. Ben, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, and one more thing, if I may, you know, they select, they purposely in this cosmopolitan, um, you know, they wanted to bring in all the ideas. And um, so I, two very important things to mention about how revolutionary the Criterion Association was. They held these events. These events were open to everyone. So the man off the street could come and attend this event. Um, 
And so, I mean, they sold out, of course they did. Um, but it wasn't just limited to the intellectual elite because the criterionists believed that if you kept everything in the university, then you wouldn't actually affect real change. So there's that. And then also when they're discussing these personalities of the day, the diversity of the personalities of the day, each event is set up in a democratic way with a pro speaker, a contra speaker, and a moderator. And so for Comrnescu, this was his vision to have these conversations. Um, a couple of these uh, idols events were perceived as subversive by the by the king, by the Romanian constitutional yeah, monarchy. That's my, ne- that's my next question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, because, I, I mean, we're dealing in, in phases, right, Christina? I mean, we've got a kind of spiritualist phase, which is like my, 1925 to maybe 1929, and then a non-spiritualist, as you describe it, I think others have described it, with all of these iconic figures of modernism plus, you know, You've got Mussolini, right? Lenin, Freud, and so forth. Oswald Spengler, whom you mentioned, who has a very important role in this. So, I mean, what then happens to this group of, say, 100 people who overlap with the young generation when the political authorities begin to pay attention? Because after all, it is 1933, right? Um, By the time the criterionists are are really taking off, Can, can you... Explain a little bit about this intersection between politics and the arts and aesthetics. Yes. So, um, so Comrnescu's reply when they were first shut down, um, it was a public manifestation. The police came and um, everyone was forced to leave. So he, he had to, I mean, this is, Comrnescu was just, um, anyway, <laughs> obviously I'm a big fan. I think he handled this perfectly. He wrote a statement and said, Criterion is an apolitical association. We are investigating ideas <clears throat> um, and we want to give the stage to everyone. Um, and this very simple, um, uh, just this a statement that could be distributed. I mean, it, I, and I have it in in my book in English, of course. Um, and they also personally went and um, pleaded with the authorities saying, you got to trust us. Like, we're not trying to, you know, have a revolution right now. We're just trying to have a discussion. Um, and ultimately, we're successful in that. But, you know, the moment when, you know, Europe is a it has just started to be, of course, as we know, um, the time, the timeline here, 1933, we're already in a, in a, in a, a motion of upheaval. Um, uh, extremism is taking hold, uh, in obviously in Germany already in Italy. So the Romanian government is nervous and understandably so they've already outlawed communism. They're nervous about fascism. They don't, they're just, um, you know, uncertain. So I would say Criterion, um, it is noble in that it always had an apolitical agenda. It is noble in that they were discussing face value, the ideas of Lenin and Mussolini. I mean, coming out of Southern California and Carmenescu says, hey, let's discuss the ideas of Lenin today. I mean, <laughs> I yeah. feel like you could only get away no. with that in the United States. So, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, they were, that's the beauty of Criterion. Um, 
that is what inspires me um, in terms of Bucharest Inside the Beltway. I know I'll talk a little bit about that later. Sure. Um, but yeah. yeah. I, I, and I wanted, I mean, I wanted to ask what happens then in this intersection between politics and, and their so-called non-political um, activities. So what happens to their friendships? And I, I mean, I would love to ask you a question here about sexual politics, because I mean, there is the issue of homosexuality, which you describe very well, um, both in history and in theory, let's say in, in theory and in practice. How, how did this kind of ambiguousness, really starting with Kamarnescu, um, create an issue or was it an issue among the friendships that these criterionists had? So the story of friendship, I think that friendship um, is, is different in Romania than in other countries. Obviously, I know the United States best. Um, friendship for this group, and I also see it in my own Romanian family, is extremely important. And with the rise of the extreme right, that is the greatest loss for many of these figures. And I mentioned that Sebastian writes about it in his journal, still wanting to be friends with Eliade, even though he's surviving the Romanian Holocaust and Eliade is a cultural (laughs) attache for the fascist government abroad, but um, still wanting to be friends and writing about how painful it is that um, those friendships are lost because of politics. Um, So friendship is key. Friendship is the only way the Criterion Association happened. Um, But specifically about perhaps more intimate friendships, male friendship is how I first started um, my discussion about um, Komarnescu's life. Because um, for him, before he left for the United States, he had his closest male friendship with Constantin Noika, who was also part of this group, who then went on to be the most famous Romanian philosopher um, at the end of the second half of the 20th century. So he's an iconic figure. They were very young, of course, very, very young. Um, They were best friends hanging out all the time. And there was an intimate dimension to this male friendship. And Mm -hmm. um, Comernescu writes about it with such pain in his journal that he wants to actually actualize this friendship. Um, Now, of course, we can hypothesize exactly what does that mean. Um, But I know that he was in love with Noika because um, he he actually writes that in his diary at the time. It seems so. And, and why, I mean, why you're going back to the sources, I think it's a remarkable moment, right? Because this is when Iliada and others are accused of pornography and all these sorts of things. So what, what happens to these partnerships and friendships? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know you were almost finished with that. Oh no. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's kind of, (laughs) um, yeah, the, uh, a book does need to be written about the um, sex lives, if I may, of of Generation Twenty Seven. Because wow, <laughs> um, but Komarnescu, he, I mean, nobody knew what was going on. What his his turmoil was so private, and he loved Noika so much, and he he wanted to be lovers, be partners. But what prevented that was that Noika had just met. Um, 
um, a British woman, actually, who he ended up marrying. So she came into the picture, and then that sort of thwarted Comernescu's uh, dreams of maybe being with Noika. Um, and then they were having these conversations, the three of them. I can't even imagine how that went down. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of pain that he was mm-hmm. feeling as he left Romania for the United States. Yeah. He comes back um, and he, you know, it's, this is what I, the way I describe Comernescu's sexual identity is um, it's an ambiguous homosexuality. I believe that, um, you know, today we might say queer. Um, today we might say bi. He did marry a woman when he came back um, from mm-hmm. from the United States um, during Criterion's activity. Um, but then what has pl- what played out since, because that marriage was unsuccessful, she had an affair with her ex-lover, got pregnant, um, that didn't work out. It dissolved right at the moment that Criterion was officially over, even though we're not allowed to speak of its death. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is when Comernescu, Volcanescu, and Alexandru Christiantel were accused of homosexuality by an orthodox tabloid. And they were accused of this because there was a dance performance um, by that Criterion, it was a Criterion-related event. Perform, the performance was by a very famous dancer, Gabriel Negri, and a, it was actually Floria Capsali, the <laughs> dancer who was hosting the meetings of Criterion. Um, the theory is that she was jealous. And so she whispered because he was getting all this great press. So she whispered to a uh, reporter that it his performance promoted pederasty. Um, and somehow that got twisted into this whole, oh, well, therefore the key criterionists are you know, advocating homosexuality. They are in fact sexual inverts. That's what they were calling them themselves. And it was this horrible, horrible, I mean, just, you know, inhumane and evil, in my opinion, um, you know, press scandal. And it drove, yeah, yeah, it drove Comernescu uh, into hiding. Uh, He didn't want to appear in public. I mean, he basically had a nervous breakdown. Gabriel Negri had a nervous Mm -hmm. breakdown. Um, and shortly after this homosexuality was criminalized in Romania, it was decriminalized under Dej, the first dictator, uh, Ceausescu brought it back and criminalized it. But during the communist period, um, just to finish out with Comernescu's ambiguous, um, sexuality, uh, he had to do this kind of dance, uh, to, to be safe. Um, so... A lot of people are angry with him in today's Romania because it has come out that he was an informant for the Securitate, the Romanian secret police. Um, I think I might have more empathy uh, than many because I cannot imagine how it would be to be queer, bi, gay, um, ambiguously homosexual under communism. I mean, it must he must have been, um, you know, in fear um, and so I think a lot of these historical figures, who, would they make these choices to survive? Um, yeah. And I mean, I first of all don't think we should be judging historical figures at all, but I know that's very controversial. But that's the story of Comrenescu. He's one of Romania's most important LGBTQ plus icons, and he should be celebrated as such. And I, I think 
you answered that beautifully because I, I mean, I'm so curious about the after lives of these um, criterionists and, and for that matter, other Romanian intellectuals like Inesco, um, you have an entire chapter on rhinoceros and the rhinocerosization, I think you call it, of, of the intellectual community. So, I mean, my final question for you about the individuals in your prosopography is, is really their legacy. If you take a theater director like Marietta Sadova, what happens to them and, and really, I mean, you described this really well with the, the coup in 1944, but what, what does it mean? Because they're actually able, you know, to lead pretty long lives and some of them in the emigration. Um, I, my final chapter is, um, this period that you, that you are asking about Stephen in terms of what happens to each of these figures and what, why is it so different of a story for those who got out the names we do know, Eliade, Inesco, Choron, um, they were able to not only escape, you know, Romanian communism, which as, as we all know was, um, you know, I mean, I had family and, uh, who were imprisoned and in labor camps and, um, you know, we all know that Romanian communism was not nice, right? So they, they were spared that and not only that, but they became world famous. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I, in the final chapter, I, I explained how that happened for each of them, but I also really wanted to give the mic and this is my spoken word poet in me (laughs) to the, um, you know, to the voices that nobody knows what happened to them. Right. And you are right. Some of them succeeded in this bizarre survival compromise with the communist regime, still um, somehow landing on top. Great example, Marietta Sadova, who I won't go, we don't have time to tell the whole story about how she, um, she went Short. on. Short story in two in two sentences. What yeah, in two sentences. She well, she was she was engaged in subversive activity, flying to Paris with a state Romanian government theater troupe um, to give documents, and within the Romanian former legionary elite in Paris, obviously she got in trouble for that. She was put in trial. She was in prison. Same trial that Noiko was put. He was also put in prison. Um, and so, but she got out of that and then she ended up being a theater professor at, at um, the theater university in Bucharest and that she died as someone who was teaching theater. I mean, I think that's a pretty good deal of coming out on top. I mean, same with Komarnescu. He got to go on state visits to Moscow in Western Europe, representing the communist government as an art critic. Yeah. Um, you know, but then there, there are, um, you know, people who were not so fortunate um, or maybe did not have enough time to make a kind of moral compromise. And Mircea Volkanescu is a great example, one of the main uh, economists of the Romanian Holocaust. Um, And I mean, he was one of the many immediately. um, I mean, he was put in Aoud prison, which was one of the main prisons for former legionnaires and um, died shortly thereafter. So you have those stories too, of people who did not make it, um, in, yeah. you know, and, and, and I want, I want to actually transition from there to your cultural activism. I, I do want to give a plug for 
especially for your cultural collective, um, Bucharest Inside the Beltway. I, I, I get the sense, Christina, that you're an impresario as well. I don't know if this is fair, but uh, I, I think you are. Um, and, and I actually think that it, it's incredibly important um, to think about judgment in context as you do in the book. So the judgment of, of people according to dominant ideologies and struggles between them in a sort of grand 20th century story. But I, I wonder what you can tell us about the 21st century story. So beyond not just 1989, but into the world of, of contemporary neo-fascism and authoritarianism in Central and Eastern Europe. And um, Romania, of course, is, is quite a different story. But I mean, how do you take the lessons of this cultural world um, into and up to the present, and especially with your own role um, in poetry and theater and history and the arts? So Bucharest Inside the Beltway was inspired by the cultural world that I I was very, very lucky to be a part of when I was living in Romania doing my PhD research. Um, and the cultural world in, in Bucharest specifically, still to this day, is cutting edge, risk-taking, asking hard questions, making you think. It's local and more professional artists collaborating there's not this sort of tiered system that we have in the States of, you know, Hollywood or Broadway and everyone else we don't take seriously. I mean, in Bucharest, all artists are taken seriously. Um, so yeah, the art scene, I would say in Bucharest, you know, it's not directly um, political as part of the, you know, city or national apparatus or political parties, Certainly not, but it is um, it is making sometimes um, people ask hard questions, um, and it was that spirit that Brooke Sandra Pop, who is the um, poet and anthropologist, she is still based in Bucharest. That it is in that spirit that we wanted to create an international artistic platform that could be trying to be. <laughs> like the scene in Bucharest. So to provide the space for local and international artists to do grassroots productions, um, tackle difficult topics. And we have succeeded. We've In Washington, D.C., we were founded in 2013. We were enormously successful in Washington. We sold out every play that we did. We had arts exhibitions. We um, one, we won awards. We, um, one show was bought for TV, although they never ended up making it a TV series. Um, mm -hmm. and we also, you know, in addition to, we're in a couple of, um, probably more mainstream, uh, DC festivals. Um, but we were also in the DC black theater festival, um, which was, I mean, I mean, it was such a meaningful, um, opportunity because um, we were able, something that BIB has always wanted to do is to be a platform um, maybe for um, artists from more marginalized communities. And, um, you know, obviously DC Black Theater Festival might be the, you know, like 
you know, most, most evident example of that. Um, but we have been, we've succeeded in working with um, all na- ethnic groups and artists of all, you know, and also I would like to say the international dimension, international artists as well. So um, ultimately this is a very, very long winded way of saying we are now in Denver. I moved to Denver a year ago um, looking to become a powerhouse here, celebrating both local and international artists. Um, and also our most prestigious, um, I would say artistic collaboration to date is ongoing. We are in the smack dab middle of it. The Romanian Cultural Institute of New York has invited us to, um, co-create, co-curate a literary series called Romanian Women Voices in North America that features, yeah, that features Romanian American or Romanian Canadian poets and playwrights. And so that's been that, um, those broadcasts air every Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern time on Romanian Cultural Institute, New York, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I, and really, I, that's what I wanted to say toward the end, because we're we're winding down. Um, so for all of our listeners here at New Books Network, if you're interested, you can go to www.ChristinaBejan, it's C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, uh, A-B-E-J-A-N, ChristinaABejan.com for more information. And she's on social media as well, everywhere, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I think we're connected everywhere, um, at BIB Denver. And of course, uh, on Instagram, the remarkable um, Instagram uh, platform, or at least the, the place where you can find information about current events. It's called um, Bucharest Inside the Beltway. Um, it's been an absolute joy uh, to talk to you, Christina, about Um, your book. Thank you so much for being here with me um, today. Thank you, Stephen. This was uh, really, really fun. And I'm very grateful that you invited me. Thanks again. The book is called Intellectuals and Fascism in Interwar Romania, the Criterion Association, published by Christina Bejan, Palgrave, Macmillan Press, 2019. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel, here at the New Books Network and New Books in East European Studies. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time. 